continuing to read in God's Word from Paul's letter to the Romans, the sixth chapter, beginning with verse 1. Paul says, What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Last week, I said that Paul's letter to the Romans is going to guide our summer preaching series. The lectionary readings for this summer uh, begin with Romans 5, which is where we started last week, and go through Romans chapter 14. And Romans is one of those really, really important letters that Paul wrote for us all. Remember what I said last week, and if you don't remember, I'm going to tell you. So, uh, Jesus founded the church. Jesus is the head of the church. The church exists because Jesus came to this world to live in it, to die, to rise again, and all of that. Jesus is the founder of the church. Paul is the organizer, the theologizer of our church in many ways. Not the only one, but one of the really important people. So Paul's longest letter, his letter to the Romans, is, is filled with advice and theology and practice. And while it is the inspired word of God, it has some idiosyncrasies relative to who Paul is that we in our modern world have had to deal with along the way. And we do our best. So what's the big deal with Romans? I would like to spend some time this summer, and, and Pastor Ernest is going to join me along the way, looking at some of the parallels between Rome and 
Rochester. Who'd have thought that Rochester would make it into the Bible? Not exactly, but, but there are definitely parallels. Rome was the center of the Western world, the capital of the Roman Empire. We know that to be the case. Rochester, not the center of the Western world, although maybe some people here kind of feel like it's the center of Western New York. You can make an argument for that. Still, there are similarities between Rome and Rochester. A large, more probably larger in terms of population than Rome was back in the ancient times. It's diverse. It's a cultural center, which is one of the really wonderful things about Rochester, isn't it? All kinds of marvelous culture here in this place. So there are a few of those similarities. I would like to suggest that we also share some of Rome's cultural and social issues. Like, now I don't know if this is true of Rochester or not, but, but it, it's true of the Romans. The Romans back in those days, and maybe even today, I'm not as familiar with today, but the Romans thought that they were just a little bit better than everyone else which leads to that wonderful plague of prejudice, doesn't it? There was a great, great divide, not only in Rome, but all around the ancient world, a great divide between the rich and the poor, the people with resources and the folks who didn't. Actually, in the ancient world, there were a very, very small number of people who had a lot of resources and everybody else was poor. You could make the argument today that we're moving more quickly in that direction than we'd like to move. But there was a great divide between the rich and poor. And then there was the vaunted Roman system of justice from which we in our modern societies have adopted and adapted many of those principles. So it was a vaunted justice system, and it was incredibly unequally applied. Do I need to take the time to make the connections between then and now? So the Christian church in Rome, made up of Jews and Gentiles, already kind of an interesting place because those folks didn't often uh, interact with each other, but here in this foreign land, they did. They needed to apply what we call those Judeo-Christian principles to their life in Rome. These 11 verses provide probably at least 11 jumping-off points for this meditation this morning, but I'm going to focus on that concept that Paul lifts up of dying and living with Jesus Christ and what that means for the Christians in Rome and Rochester. For ancient people, more than for us, it's, it's not completely unrealistic for us. It's not a surreal experience. Death is real for us too. But for ancient folks and for folks in many parts of the world that don't operate in the same way and with the same kinds of services 
as we operate, death was not a surreal, distant subject, either to the Romans or to the Roman Christians. Rather, it was an ever-present visitor and threat. We in our modern society, for all of the good and bad things that that entails, we've, we've kind of segregated death off into a certain portion of our existence. Not in Rome, and not in most of the world even today. Simply living for the Romans, because most Romans were poor, simply living was in no way simple. It was a daily daily challenge. And then you add things like oppression, discrimination, and poverty to the mix. It was, it was more difficult than you might imagine. When Paul writes his letters, as I said last week, uh, he liked to use hyperbole, which is overstating a case to, to make a point. Uh, Paul, in this passage, I don't believe, is sugarcoating the reality of death. Paul is not talking like I've heard preachers and theologians talk, that, you know, uh, death is this wonderful thing and we just get through it and then we get pie in the sky by and by, and that's all just fine. That's not what Paul is saying here. In other parts of his letters, he talks about death as the last enemy to be defeated. It's not the glorious final stage in life. It is, it is an enemy, and we need to fight against it with all of our abilities. I think the point, at least one of the points that Paul makes for me, is that in order to defeat an enemy, you have to confront it. It's kind of the... COVID-19 thing, right? You can't see it, but you know it's there, and so you can't pretend like it doesn't exist because it'll kill you if you pretend it doesn't exist. So it's not that Paul is sugarcoating our deaths or human death, but rather that we need to deal with it. We need to be honest about it. And Paul highlights in this passage and in other places uh, the most important tool that we have in fighting death, and that's Jesus' resurrection, which we claim as believers in Jesus as our own. We are heirs with Jesus of that reality. When we're in the middle of a struggle for survival, in the heat of that struggle, if we need any reminders about heat today, Remember, I came from Florida. This is, this is really quite nice. In the heat of the, the survival struggle, we can sometimes forget that promise that Paul reminds us of that we have in Jesus. That the struggle for life and against death may be the last enemy, but we're not without important tools. We all share in the resurrection inheritance won for us by Jesus in his death and resurrection. As a simple song says long ago, every morning is Easter morning, from now on for those who trust in and believe in Jesus. It doesn't mean that our troubles go away, not at all. 
it does mean that that reality tempers the struggles and challenges and trials that we face. And I would like to suggest that being honest with the fact that death is a part of our reality allows us to embrace Christ-like living with vigor and with intentionality. It allows us to die, which we are all doing, as if we're living. Not just because we're afraid of something, but because we have the assurance that comes to us in the promise that is ours. Paul's perspective in his letters is that not only are Christians dying, but they're already dead. Dead to the old self and the old ways of living. And it's by dying to self that we make room in our existence for the new life that Jesus Christ wants to live in us and through us. It's that realization, again, that allows us to go through each and every day with excitement, with expectation, with vigor, and with energy. I didn't, I didn't Google it, but I, I could have, because you can Google anything nowadays, right? But it, I thought to myself, in our modern economy, how much of our modern economy and how much time and how much money do we spend in our daily living avoiding death? Now, we don't ask the question that way, but when you stop to think about it, how much of what we do is because we know that if we do some things a little bit better, we will live longer? I would say it's probably the majority of our economy. It's not a bad thing to seek to avoid death, I assure you. Do not walk out in front of buses driving down the street. That's, that's a bad plan. But life that is driven by the avoidance or the attempt to avoid death is one that is focused on self. And it is driven by fear. So what Paul says, when we just recognize that we die to ourselves, uh, the, the dying to self fuels passionate living for Jesus in our daily lives. Think about the thousands, the thousands of martyrs through the ages who have died in the faith. We don't seek out martyrdom in our Christian faith. That's not a concept that we support. There are folks who die because they're Christians, even today, but we don't seek that out. And those martyrs become witnesses and encouragers and strengtheners for us, people who, hold it, who are holding our bicycles of life as we travel down the road. Think about the people in the streets these days who are demanding justice in an unjust society and how many of them have died to self and are living fearlessly because of this motivation of having Christ live in them. How about the billions, the billions of acts of kindness and selfless uh, devotion to others that occur every day and never, ever, ever make it 
to the news reports. In the final analysis, those are the things that we will remember. Not somebody who was all gung-ho about living for themselves and making sure that they lived a long time. Those people who lived selfless lives of service for others. We remember Paul, and not the brutal, brutal Roman authorities who, tradition says, put him to death, along with Peter and many other Christians. We remember Paul. We don't remember the oppressors. We remember Martin Luther King Jr. and his associates. And I had to Google the name of the sheriff who met them on the Selma Bridge this morning because I'd forgotten his name. I will never forget Martin Luther King's name. We will remember George Floyd. And even though we now know the name of the officer who killed him, their names, his name will go off into our historical memory banks and we'll have to Google him too. But we won't forget George Floyd, will we? And we will remember the church leaders who step up in times like we're in right now our elders, our deacons, our trustees that we set apart and bless and thank today. Jesus' death and resurrection is not only or even primarily a ticket to heaven, but it is power for living on earth. When I was thinking about this meditation, uh, I and perhaps you also have called to mind Tim McGraw's song, Live Like You're Dying, right? And I like to think it's just the opposite way around. We embrace and recognize that we're dying, and that allows us fully and fearlessly to live in the face of the reality of death. Not foolishly, not without planning, not without taking care of ourselves, not without appropriate cautions and all of those things. But not in our sheltered faith cocoons either. There's something about, there's a lot about this time that's really, really wonderful. And there's something about the fact that we have to figure out how to be out there in the world and still be the church without gathering here in this place. And that's a part of what we're learning, too. Another part of the old way that's died, allowing for the new way of living to develop among us. So Paul reminds us that in baptism, we have died in and with Jesus Christ. And it's that recognition, that knowledge, that embracing that reality that now empowers us more than anything else, to live for him. Fearlessly, creatively, filled with the desire to seek justice and love and compassion in our world. If, Paul says, we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Not only in the forever, but the forever that is happening right now. Thanks be to God for this teaching from his holy word. Amen.